For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. The reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. The word of the Lord. Thank you for reading. Hi, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, First of all, uh, here in this room is a friend of mine who we've just connected uh, after years of being disconnected, and she's known me since I was 12 years old. Her name is Sarah. Sarah, would you wave and say hi? (laughs) Yay! Sarah and I, she was on my paper route in Aiken, Minnesota. And she threw snowballs at me when I would deliver the paper. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Nobody's allowed to talk to her. (laughs) I wanted to read a a text. Uh, Every Sunday morning, a friend of mine, Susie, who doesn't go to church here, she she came for a while, but she lives too far away. Uh, But every Sunday morning, she texts us. And here's, here's a text from this morning. It's Sunday. That's how she starts every Sunday morning text with. It's Sunday. Praying that in the things that feel like they are dead or dying in your life, you can know that hope is still the promise that you've been given. It likely won't be the outcome that you were desiring or imagining, but will be good because God is good. Amen? That's from Susie. So, Father, would you be with us uh, for the next few minutes, as you already have been, inspire us and speak to us. 
Amen? Okay, can we look at the passage? I love this passage. I've loved this passage for a long time. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, and 8 through 11. Uh, by show of hands, how many people have heard this passage before? Okay. The context of the passage is Isaiah is writing this to uh, the people of Israel as they have lost the promised land. They've not lived well with what God has given them. And so they are being exiled. God says, when you come into the promised land, he says, before they ever got into the promised land, don't forget me. You're going to forget me, but don't forget me. But you're going to. Because it's going to be so good in the promised land. You're going to forget me. And when you do, uh, the people are going to conquer you and they'll take you away. But when that happens, wait and watch for me because it's still not over yet. Isaiah's writing this as the people are being carried off. They're watching their home uh, be decimated. And Isaiah says, there's good news. We're going to go back. Okay, Isaiah 61, what's the good news? Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me. He sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, relief to prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. What is this talking about? If you're new to Genesis, we do all plays. That means we all get to join in. So what is this about, this first part? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does that cue anybody? Does that trigger any? Yes! Okay, jubilee. It's actually, that's what it is. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's jubilee. What is jubilee? Anybody know? Yeah, it is, Joe. Real good stuff, just like that Christmas sweater. Okay, here's the deal. Yes. Yes, the slaves are returned. All financial debts are forgiven. One more. Happens every 50 years. What's that? Property, thanks, Will. Okay, all money is put back to where it was 50 years ago. All land is restored to original land ownership. And all people are set free. It's because they weren't practicing this originally that they had to go into exile. And so what God is saying is that as you see what is oppressed, who the prisoners are, loose them. That's what the Messiah is going to do. It's going to be jubilee. It's going to be a reset of society, culture. And so then verse 3 Specifically, the people that are going to feel the year of Jubilee are those who mourn in Zion, those who are sad, those who have experienced goodness, or those who know that there is goodness and that they are mourning because they are living in pain. Anyone who is living oppressed, anyone who is living as a prisoner, anyone who is living with a broken heart will first sense the Messiah's presence. And there will be joy, gladness, Praising instead of a faint spirit. Okay, there's a transition that happens. 
verse 8 through 11, all of a sudden, it's not talking about what the Messiah will do. Who's it talking about? Who's doing the work in the, in the second part of the passage? It's not the Lord. Who's doing the work in the second part of the passage? Can you see it? What's that? The descendants of those who were mourning. It's the exact people who were oppressed, who were prisoners, who are going to understand how to rebuild the ruins. They'll build up ancient ruins. They'll raise up the former devastations. They'll repair the ruined cities. Why? Because they know them inside and out. They've lived there. Okay, here's what I think. I think our church does this all over the place. Just take a look around. Just look around the room. Look at each other. You guys are stunning. Can I tell you a couple stories of you guys? Indulge me. We, we are people who follow the Messiah. Okay, just to, before I get into the stories, Jesus is the Messiah. He says, this is me. But then we see Jesus saying, follow me. Are you following the progression? So Jesus comes as the Messiah. And that's what we're waiting for in Advent. But then as we watch Jesus' life, he says, do what I do. And so then we become the people who actually are fulfilling that on the ground. Following me, does that make sense? Okay, here's where it's at. As an artist, I think of it this way. Where is the paintbrush actually touching the canvas and drawing those colors across the canvas? In our actual life, when are we actually beginning to rebuild the ruins in our society? When are we actually beginning to raise up the broken down? One of our, one of our people here, Jenny Smith, actually helps clothe the prisoners. She works in North Minneapolis, and she works with people coming out of the prison system, and she helps get them new clothes, and she helps find them a job and a place to live. She could be working anywhere. If you know Jenny, you know she could be president. Maybe will be someday. But right now, she's giving her life in North Minneapolis. She's finding a way for her to use her giftings and her talents. Okay, Joe and Shannon, Tim. Man, you guys. Uh, when I met you guys, you were in love with country living. You had a couple subscriptions to what? Better Homes and I don't know. Yeah, right. Thank you, Charlie. There were some sawmills out there. there was, you were living the country life until you joined the conversation of how do we actually take care of the marginalized? How do we actually take care of even ourselves and our own brokenness? And so you decided to move into the city. Did you have a plan? Nope. <laughs> but I tell you what, those of us who have been to your house already know that the few months you've been there, your neighbors are so grateful you moved in. Isn't that a sign of, of rebuilding and restoring? Another friend here uh, who, who is living like this, as, as I think so many of us are, named Verna. Uh, Verna, where are you? There you are. Everybody, everybody wave at Verna. <laughs> Hi, Verna. Verna's a, a, a hero of mine. She, she took me out to coffee, actually lunch, uh, and, and she just said, I love you, Steve, and I said, I'm yours forever. Here's what Verna says about what, what, how she sees her life. She goes, I'm on a trajectory. Remember that word trajectory. We're going to use it later. Because what Verna's pointing us to is very important. But she says, I'm on a trajectory. 
It's God's energy and calling on my life that pulls me along. Here's how she chooses to to live her life and hear the call of year of Jubilee. I hope to help heal the broken parts that are being healed in me and in my brothers and sisters. God began doing things for me that I could not do for myself. I was invited to bring all of my brokenness into a fellowship with other broken people, and they loved me, and I believed myself to be lovable because they were people of honor. She says, over a period of time, I began to feel set free. My shame dissipated, and my relationship with God was vibrant and rich. In this radical healing, God changed my heart, and the gifts that he had placed in me became more visible to me. Here's the transition. And then I told God I would do whatever he asked of me. Gulp, it says. <laughs> At the age of 60, I started seminary. I'm inching closer and closer to hospital chaplaincy, which seems to be what God is wiring me for, even when I was busy being a big-time idolater. <laughs> for 20 years, God has been weaving the hospital and hospice service into the tapestry of my wounded and broken heart. Happiness for me, she says, is seen to the shalom of my brothers and sisters. It's how God has wired me. The only thing that makes sense for me now is to love. I know that we are commanded to, and I love a list of rules to follow, but this isn't like that for me. I'm so humbled and in awe of being loved by God and being set free that all I can do is love my brothers and sisters to honor all that God has done for me. I have a peace and joy that I have never known. So going from that brokenness, going from that longing for the Messiah to redemption, to being called back home, into an understanding that we can then go and do the same thing. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, uh, new friend Brian McWhite. Brian, uh, I think he's actually downstairs serving in kids. Let's hear it for Brian McWhite. Okay, Brian's a realtor. How many know that realtors are uh, <laughs> pastors? <laughs> Brian is. That's how he sees uh, his life and what he does. Listen, here's what he says. Uh, I'm a realtor working in residential real estate as well as operating partner of a brokerage uh, where I coach and mentor other real estate agents. Uh, but, you know, some realtors can, can, can just do the job. But here's what he says. I spend my days working to bring good into the lives of people. That can look a lot of different ways, depending on the situation. Many home sellers are moving for work. It's very stressful because they love where they live now. Many home sellers are walking through crisis or tragedy, divorce, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, financial collapse, etc. And bringing good into their lives might be in part helping them solve a real estate problem, but more often than not, bringing good into their lives looks a lot more like pastoral care. They want someone to talk with. They want someone to listen and care. They need someone to tell them they're not losing their mind. I also need someone to tell me I'm not losing my mind sometimes. I can't tell you, he goes on, how many times I've sat with someone at their kitchen table for two or more hours. We only talk real estate for 20 to 30 minutes. And then I say, hey, so this might be none of my business. I know you called me here to talk about real estate, but can I ask, are you okay? It's incredible how often that simple invitation to speak gives people much needed permission to dump all their hurt on the kitchen table. People want to talk so badly, and I think one of the greatest gifts I can give to people, Brian says, is listening well and loving well. 
It's not about total homes and total dollars. You're never going to go to a real estate seminar on how to love people well. But I believe very deeply that all people are inherently valuable and that therefore their needs and dreams and fears and concerns really matter. I view my first job as caring deeply for people, he says. I've experienced and seen quite a bit of hurt, is the last thing he says. And when you experience hurt, it just gives you so much more love and compassion for people who are hurting. It makes you much more quick to jump into the pit with them. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, still trying to kind of put, put some bones on um, the passage. If we go back to the passage, okay? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the oppressed, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, release the prisoners. So far, in your thinking of this, where this is happening, where are you thinking this is happening? Future, okay, where else? Past, okay. Bob is special. <laughs> because I've told you I've loved this passage for a really long time. And I have. And I've studied it before. I love it. Um, and I've always seen this passage happening outside my house. And you can imagine living a life where you think that all the broken places are outside. And all the prisoners are outside. And all the brokenhearted are outside. Um, I've done that. So I'd like to tell you a little bit of my story. Uh, I'm a four on the Enneagram, if, if you're into that sort of stuff. Whoop, whoop. I'm getting into it, because uh, I'm a broken person and I need a lot of help. <laughs> but a basic fear that I have uh, for my whole life uh, is that I don't have an identity and I don't have any personal significance. Crazy, right? Um, but here's how the ancient ruins are being rebuilt in my life. And here's how my broken heart has been mended. A core judgment of mine is when I see one friend not seeing the other friend. When I see one friend uh, emotionally or verbally or worse abusing the other friend. And they just don't know it. They don't even see it. They, they can't understand it. And I think I see that pretty well. And I look in on, I mean, not this church. I'd never judge us. <laughs> Look at the other churches in town. <laughs> They're really bad. <laughs> There's a lot of blindness in a lot of people. Twelve months ago, I had a conversation with a friend. And it was cloudy in the conversation. Uh, it, was, it was hard to understand what was going on. But in a couple months after that, I realized that my friend was pointing to something in my life and saying, you do this. And you do it significantly and severely. And obviously, I went, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I went, no, I don't! And here's everything that's wrong with you. Um, the conversation was really hard. The ensuing few months were awkward for me. It was like all of a sudden everything was shifting inside and I didn't know what to think about it. 
I had seen something in that conversation and in myself, and I knew I didn't like what I had seen. But like many things, if there's one speck of truth, usually that's a thread, and as you pull it, it just gets bigger and bigger. And I started to think, well, if this is true, it's everywhere in my life. Does that make sense? You know how one little thing, and all of a sudden you see it. And I had been blind in so many areas. And over the summer, instead of choosing hope, I chose despair. I told my friends, I'm tired. I told Scott, I'm tired, I'm confused. I told Charlie, I, I don't know, fix me. And he goes, I can't. <laughs> and then the past few months got really dark, and I started to wonder how confused I actually was. And I started to give in to a deep sorrow that had taken over me. And some of you have seen that. Some of you have asked, hey, you look heavy. Yeah. It wasn't until I surrendered to the full-on admittance that this is my brokenness, that this is actually in me, and I do this. And I could better see peace, that it was time to stop being embarrassed that this is me and instead choose the path towards healing. If any of you have dealt with addictions before, step one, two, and three are some of the hardest. Because when you're really looking at it, oh my goodness, the broken places, the desolated places, it's tough, isn't it? Surrender, for me, looked like acknowledging the worst of what I had judged in someone else is also true about me. And if you know me, you know how highly I value people and kindness and peace. I felt like a hypocrite. If you, knew, if you know me well, you also know uh, that I can be cutting with my judgment. And I did. I felt undone. I was in a study this week, uh, this past week, with some really good people, Steph um, and Rexanne. Uh, Charlie was there, and we were studying a different passage, and we were all kind of saying some words out into the room, and I started to write a song in the study. It's not finished yet, but it's kind of about this. Would you like to hear it? Okay, but I have to go back here real quick. Can you hear me now? has a long intro to make you think of Advent for waiting. Survive Has anyone ever truly come back to life? How long have I been trying to get it right? See the wrinkles on my weeping face Weary What if I fall here Will anyone help me hold these fears Of losing all my years This is my second attempt at a sin. 
not the first time I have tried to cross here. The demons are real, at least the struggle is. And all I can hear is the anger pounding in my ears. Show me the light. Or can't you find it? Does the sun ever rise in hell? Give me the light or the voice that calls it. Hell is all of heaven waiting to be forgiven. This is my second attempt at a sin. Not the first time I have tried to cross here. The demons are real, at least the struggle is. And all I can hear is the anger pounding in my ears. This is my second This is not the first time This is not the last I will need a love to pick me up. This is not the first time. Maybe this is all the first time I come to life. Okay, the other passage in the lectionary is John the Baptist, and let's end with John. And going back to what Verna says, she set a trajectory, and this is what John is doing. Uh, so in the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, he's the one who is helping the Messiah let everyone know that the year of Jubilee is here, and he goes first. He's the first one to come against the religious leaders. He's the first one to say to the broken places, get ready, healing's coming. This is abnormal. Nobody likes it, except the people who are broken, right? Except the prisoners. They're ready for it. The religious leaders come against John the Baptist, and they say, who are you? Okay, if John the Baptist just tells them, I'm John the Baptist, I was sent here, da, 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 are, are they going to believe him? No, right? They, they aren't here looking to compromise with John. They're here to look to see how they can get away, uh, move him out of the picture. 
So what John is about to answer is not for their sake. It's for his sake. John the Baptist is about to set his trajectory. This is before he meets Jesus. This is before his ministry takes off. Here's what he says. He answered, no, I'm nothing that you think. Who are you? Let us have an answer. John says, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Just as the prophet Isaiah said, now they'd been sent from the Pharisees, these guys, and they asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But Jesus is coming, who you do not know, the one that's coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. John the Baptist named who he wasn't. I'm not the Messiah, he said. But scripture says that I bear the name of the Messiah. I bear the ministry, that I'm calling forth the Messiah. And then here's what I'm going to do about that. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep reaching out. So can we as a people, moving together, can we set our trajectory individually and as a community? Can we say who we're not? We're not going to be the church that ushers in the second coming of Christ. As an artist, that's pretty hard. I, I think someday I'm going to write a song that's going to do it. <laughs> okay, we're, we're not a couple things. Here's what Scripture says about us, though. We are the body of Christ. That's what Scripture says of us, that we can heal, that we can raise up the broken places. Scripture says that where we walk, that's the kingdom of God. Scripture says that we are actually sons and daughters of God. What are we going to do about that? Can we set an intention together? Can we continue on the trajectory that we have set? And we can, can, can we continue to hem that in and move closer towards the target? I think that's the joy of, of this Sunday as we prepare for Christmas, as we prepare for the light coming, when we see the light. Can we join with the light? Amen? Well, let's go into some silence, and then after that, we'll pray and head towards the table. Father, would you help us know who we are? I'm not perfect, and, and I'm learning more of that. It'd really be nice if you'd made me perfect. But the suffering, Lord, brings us closer to you, and it's through that we understand how to love other people. So bring us into that suffering. Bring us into healing. Help us to name who we aren't. We aren't the Messiah. Help us to name what Scripture says of us. That we are your beloved. We are enough. We are held and loved. We are cared for. Help us to understand that. And then help us to name what we're going to do about it, Lord. Amen.